anonymous donors. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Elizabeth McGuigan. Elizabeth serves as the Director of Policy at the Philanthropy Roundtable, and she's authored a new study on anonymous donations called Unheralded Generosity. And Elizabeth, thanks so much for being with us on the Fundraising School's podcast. Great. Thank you, Bill, for having me today. I'm very excited to join you. Just as a starting point, what led you to explore this subject of people who donate anonymously? Sure. Well, at the Philanthropy Roundtable, we work to help protect what we call philanthropic freedom. And part of that is the right to give anonymously if one wishes. So we published our recent 50-state study on donor privacy because we're often asked about why the right to remain anonymous is important. So this report, it illustrates the many diverse reasons that a donor may wish to remain private, including religious or moral traditions, or to avoid unwanted solicitations, or some wish to remain anonymous to avoid taking attention away from the charities themselves. And obviously, you know, it's not surprising that in our current highly divisive environment, some donors want to remain anonymous because they're concerned about the potential to be targeted with threats or retaliation for giving to causes that may be controversial now or may actually become controversial later. Um, so we study anonymous donors because we're concerned that forcing disclosure against the wishes of donors will lead to less giving and will undermine the ability of charitable organizations to fulfill their missions. Elizabeth, how is charitable giving understood in terms of you know, freedom of speech and freedom of association, right? And, you know, fundraisers are doing their work and they're meeting their goals and they're making the world a better place through their public service missions. But there's also this broader understanding, right, that charitable giving is a form of speech and it's a form of who I want to associate with, right? Absolutely. And I think this is this is a crucial question and it's one that the Supreme Court ruled on as recently as last summer in the Americans for Prosperity v. Bonta case, where California attempted to force the disclosure of charitable donors and the Supreme Court stepped in and said, you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. You're going to chill the freedom of speech and the important corollary, the freedom of association and the freedom to associate privately if one wishes. This is a fundamental pillar of, of civil society. And it's not a surprise. Our school's research has found internationally that in the nations where there is more freedom of association and there is more freedom of speech, we have more philanthropy. So uh, it's, it's not a surprise to, to see that happening. You mentioned the many reasons why a donor would want to stay anonymous. Are, are some more predominant than others? Is there kind of one that's a leading reason why or is it just a, a broader mix across the board? You know, I would say we found in this report particularly, it's a really broad mix across the board. We know there's a longstanding tradition of the right to give privately, but there is an increased sensitivity to giving to more controversial causes. Um, you know, in the 50 state report, we found cases of donors wishing to remain private for no obvious reason or for very understandable concerns about supporting a cause like undocumented immigrants in South Dakota or Planned Parenthood facilities in Texas. Um, I have examples, if, if we have time, I can walk through a few examples as well. Sure. Um, so in Ohio, for example, an anonymous donor helped to free a group of missionaries that was kidnapped by a gang in Haiti in 2021. So while the donor who helped free the hostages chose not to come forward, it's easy to imagine the legitimate safety concerns he or she may have had with being public in that effort. 
And then we have an example in Kentucky, a nonprofit group that serves the, the Black community in Louisville received a six-figure donation from an anonymous white donor. And this individual had recently inherited family wealth and discovered a slave-owning ancestor. So they asked the charity to consider the gift a form of, quote, reparations for their family's ownership of enslaved people in that part of Kentucky. But then we found on the less controversial side, for example, we had two elderly siblings gave $10 million to their village in Wisconsin. And their goal was for the donation to build a new municipal complex, but the siblings strongly desired their gift to remain anonymous. And unfortunately, they were very angry when a local paper published their names against the advice of the village administrator. And even after the donors themselves sent a letter to the paper asking to remain anonymous. And this is a case where there's no immediate tangible harm that came to the donors, but they were certainly unhappy with the result and understandably may be very unlikely to give again. So like I said, these are just a few examples of how private gifts support really varied causes and communities throughout the country. And you take away the right to privacy, you're going to inevitably lose some of this support. And, and again, for a wide range of reasons, some people right. are just humble, don't want to call attention to themselves. They want the attention to be on the gift and on the result of the gift and on the nonprofit organization, on the cause being forwarded. Uh, sometimes it could be an issue that is viewed as controversial. So they just kind of want to stay out of the limelight for those reasons. Or you mentioned the issue, you know, found out I had slave owners and family. So that person wanted to not bring attention to that, but just wanted to bring attention to the work. All sorts of, of many different reasons. Of course, I'm just kind of curious as a researcher myself, how did you find an example in every single state? That was a little bit of work. Did take a did take a little googling, um, and there are there are sort of famous examples. I mean, we looked at Alabama, you know, the uh, NAACP case, the 1950s that started the real discussion during the civil rights era of the the protections under the Constitution for donor privacy, where the state wanted to come in and demand their membership list, and the NAACP, for obvious reasons, declined to do so. And, you know, so we had these high profile cases, but we also have the large gifts to universities where the donors simply don't want to be acknowledged. They want the they want the um, donation to be uh, focused on the they want the attention to be focused on the charity rather than on themselves. Um, and there's, you know, there's actually an interesting Arthur Brooks article recently in The Atlantic that talked about how um, you get more of a warm glow according to psychological studies, by giving anonymously than you do by giving publicly. So there's all sorts of reasons. And while most people do choose to give and have their names associated with the gift, I think protecting the right to make that choice is really important. And, and that's the point, right? Some donors want that recognition. Sometimes donors have a big ego and want too much recognition. And we just have to face that as fundraisers. And sometimes for a wide range of reasons, donors just want to stay anonymous. And, you know, those of us who work at public universities, uh, you know, that's one reason why there's a separate foundation that the donor is actually making the donation to. There's a lot of reasons for that. But sure. one of them is the foundation is not subject to the Freedom of Information Act request that the university is uh, subject to. And that allows the donors to stay anonymous and have their donation information remain private if they so choose. Right. So, Elizabeth, what advice do you have for fundraisers? Are there different cues I need to be listening for? And how, how do I cultivate that relationship? You mentioned one reason people want to stay anonymous is they know 
Fundraisers are taught by people like the fundraising school to find out who's already a donor somewhere. They might become a donor for you as well. But what advice do you have for fundraisers on, on how they can use this report? I'd say in general, I mean, the central finding of our research is really that donor privacy is crucial to fostering charitable giving and voluntary association. We know many donors will not will choose not to give if they can't keep their donations confidential. So I think the most important takeaway from our study for fundraisers is really to ensure that donors know that they're able to give privately and that even more broadly, donor intent in general is respected. So with strong best practices and communication with donors, fundraisers may signal to donors, even those that wish to remain anonymous, that they can give in the ways that matter to them. I really, I can't overstate the importance of simply honoring donor intent. Um, and I would also encourage fundraisers to visit our website, clinicbyroundtable.org, uh, of course, for more resources about best practices and how to communicate with donors, and also for more information about the importance of preserving the right to give privately. I think it's really important for everyone in this space to understand the many diverse reasons that a donor would choose to avoid disclosure, and really the critical role that donor privacy plays in, in the health and sustainability of civil society. And not just for the fundraiser to know that, but as your Wisconsin example uh, provided so sadly, mm. how important is it for our, our entire organization to understand this, right? That right. who really needs to know this information and whoever does know that information needs to honor the donor's request to remain anonymous. Sounds like the entire nonprofit can benefit from this understanding as well. Absolutely. I agree. I think that that goes hand in hand with having the best practices to make sure that uh, the donor's intent, whether it's about disclosure or any other wish, is really is honored. And that's a way to help foster more giving and support the goals of any charity. Elizabeth McGuigan is the director of policy at the Philanthropy Roundtable. The report we're talking about is called Unheralded Generosity, which takes a look at donors who give anonymously for a wide range of reasons. And there is one example from all 50 states in the United States. You can find this report on their website, philanthropyroundtable.org. Now, this is an aspect of what we teach at the fundraising school. For example, in our major gifts course, we teach about cultivating from the donor. And if you're fortunate enough to receive the gift, part of that then is a negotiation, a negotiation on the recognition that the donor is going to receive, including if that recognition is none because the gift is anonymous. So the major gifts course is one of the five available in our certificate in fundraising management, which is one of our four certificates overall. Our courses are available more and more all the time now in person, as well as extensively online, both asynchronous, meaning recorded, and synchronous, meaning live or virtual. Uh, and all the courses are the same, the same type of content, same instructors, uh, and available anywhere across the United States in person and anywhere around the world online. We also have custom training. We can tailor make courses just for your nonprofit, your association, your region. And in addition, we have our quarterly webinars and these free podcasts. Our website, philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. So grateful to our guest, Elizabeth McGuigan of the Philanthropy Roundtable. Our producers today are Dustin Donovan and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakavich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.